Blog Talk Radio. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I'm your host, Melissa Cantrella, and let's get right into the lesson. This is John MacArthur from Righteousness, from Sin to Righteousness, Part 1. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John that unpacks 15 Greek words in Scripture that explain a stunning paradox, how a God of perfect justice can show mercy to sinners who deserve only punishment. Request your free booklet titled 15 Words of Hope by writing to hope at gty.org. That's hope at gty.org. This offer is good in North America and Europe through June 2023. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you Bible teacher John MacArthur. 
Well, as you know, if you've been with us, I have digressed for a few weeks from our ongoing study of the Gospel of Luke, and I have done so admittedly somewhat reluctantly. I really was pressed in my spirit to interject a message that has now become a series that threatens to become a lifetime. But I must continue to deliver what I feel is pressing on my heart. And so we have stopped for a moment in our look at Luke's gospel, intrigued by how Jesus delivered a man from demons, and reminded that Luke quotes the words of Jesus quoting Isaiah 61 that the Messiah would come and deliver His people. And it struck me, as I told you, that I don't ever remember hearing a sermon on deliverance. I don't ever remember reading a theology about deliverance. And so I began to look in some of the indexes in the back of theology books to see if there was any discussion on the subject of deliverance. I couldn't find anything. I began to view salvation from the perspective of deliverance and realized that this great truth is largely neglected in the church. And so we're in the midst of this series on deliverance, the neglected doctrine. And why is it important? It's important because I am saying to you in this series that I am continually saddened and I am continually disappointed by the widespread lack of discernment in the quote-unquote evangelical church. And while its lack of discernment is obvious to any discerning person, and while we could make a long list of things that they don't seem to discern very well, at the very top of that list is one most critical matter where there is a serious lack of discernment, and that is the issue of who is a true Christian. It really is amazing to me that the evangelical church, the very term evangelical connects it with the evangel, the gospel, the very gospel church, the very church of the gospel cannot or will not distinguish those people who have been truly converted by the gospel from those who have not. There is this new latitude, there is this new broadness that wants to embrace all claims to Christianity as true, even if they are oblique and self-defined, and in fact resents any challenge to that broadness. This series, though it's only been going on, this will be the fourth week, has caused no sp small amount of discussion around here and beyond. I received a phone call on the cell phone last night from a man who was driving along listening to the series on tape, and he said to me, I'm listening to the series, and I have to tell you, 
something. And I said, well, what is it? He said, you know, of course, what people are saying about you. And I said, well, I could sort of guess on the broad general level, but maybe you'd like to tell me what you heard. And he said, oh, this is what I heard. Oh, that's just John MacArthur, and he thinks he has all the truth. And he said, you know, I'm listening to the tape, and this grieves me that this is what people are saying. This is just John MacArthur, and he thinks he knows all the truth. I just want you to know that I don't have the truth in me. I am not the source of the truth. But I do believe there is truth. Do you believe that? I believe there's truth. Now, that puts me at odds with the whole culture. You understand that? This is a postmodern world. There's no truth. The modern world, modernism means search for truth. They searched. They didn't find it. So now they've decided we couldn't find it, so it doesn't exist. The reason they couldn't find it is they refused to look here. I told the college students this week in chapel, the biggest problem in American culture is the Bible. It is the biggest problem in American culture. Do you understand that? Do you understand that we wouldn't be having any discussion about homosexual rights if there weren't a Bible? Do you understand we wouldn't be having any discussion about pornography if there wasn't a Bible? We wouldn't be having any discussion about pedophilia, fornication, adultery, divorce, breakup of the family. We wouldn't have any discussion about any of that if there wasn't a Bible. We wouldn't have any discussion about abortion, euthanasia. This culture is divided over this book. This book is a problem. And the left, liberal, secular culture doesn't mind us believing in this book. They just don't want to bring it out of the church. Keep it inside the walls. Don't bring it into the public discourse because it contains truth we don't want to hear. This book is the big problem. I understand that from the world, but when this book becomes a problem for the evangelical church, that is serious. I'm not telling you that I know the truth. I'm not telling you that I'm the source of the truth, but I'm telling you the Bible has the truth, and there is truth. I wonder if people even know what the word truth means anymore, because everybody has the freedom to d define truth on their own terms, let me just give you a simple definition of truth. Truth is the way things really are. Did you get that? That's what it is. It's not the way you think they are. It's the way they really are. There is truth about how the universe got here and how it's held together. There is truth about everything material in the world, and there's truth about everything spiritual in the world, and the truth is way, the way things really are. And if you want to know the way they really are, then you have to go to the source of all truth, the God of truth, the Christ who is truth, and the Spirit of truth, and the Word of truth, and you'll learn the truth. I'm not trying to pass off my opinion. I'm not inventing this as I go. I'm just studying the Bible. I'm not smart enough to even have opinions that people care about, let alone establish truth. But there is truth, and that truth is in the Word of God. And my friend said to me on the phone, he said, you, you should know that one of the leading pastors in America, a large church, said to me, oh, MacArthur gets upset about things, and he just needs to realize that the Reformation wasn't as big a deal as we've made out of it. Well, I guess not if you don't care about the truth. I care about the truth.
I live for the truth. I live by the truth. I proclaim the truth. And I contend for the truth. And that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. And it's not because I want to gain some notoriety. It's because I believe God should be heard. I had lunch with the owner of the L.A. Times. And um, he said, you know, he said, you got a lot of influence. He said, um, why don't you ever give your opinion on the issues that face us today? And I said, are you kidding? I said, you of all people, you need another opinion? I don't give opinions, I said. I give the truth from God. Now, if you would like a column on that, <laughs> sign me up. All I'm trying to do, folks, is give you the truth, okay? The truth is the Word of God has revealed it. And this, one of the seminary students asked me uh, if it was important in preaching not just to tell people the truth, but to show them in the Scripture how it is the reasonable interpretation. In other words, you can't just pontificate and say this is true. You have to show them in the Word of God why this is the reasonable way to understand this truth. And I said, of course, you can't, you can't pontificate. You can't just stand up and say this is so and this is so and this is so because you have some self-imposed authority. Uh, if, if, if I tell you something and you look at the Scripture and you search the Scripture and you don't find that it's the truth, that's serious. My, my object in preaching to you is to show you the Word of God and to lead you to understand the Word of God so that it becomes very apparent to you what the truth is. My friend R.C. Sproul probably gave me the, the most uh, kind and best introduction I've ever had. And I've had lots of introductions by lots of different people in different places. One time he introduced me and said, John MacArthur, and he's my friend because if I can show him from the Word of God where he's wrong, he'll change. I appreciated that. And that's the way it is. But there are some things in the Word of God that are very clear. And those are the things that are at the heart of our faith. And one of them is to understand who is a true Christian. And it's astonishing to me how confused people are. I talked to one of the students at the college who went to Amsterdam 2000 this summer, this convocation of thousands of evangelists, and he is a college student. He said to me, I couldn't believe what I heard. The thing was opened by a Roman Catholic priest, and there was a man there who denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they all received applause and a standing ovation by evangelicals. And when somebody steps in and says, stop this charade, this pretense of Christianity, let's get down to who's really a Christian, you get vilified and marginalized and alienated. But that's okay, because what matters is the truth. So we're trying to deal with the truth. And the way to understand who a Christian is, I've concluded, after a long time trying to get to this point, is to understand deliverance, the theology of deliverance. You can tell a Christian because they're delivered. That's what the Bible teaches. And you know, just at that point, maybe we can talk practically. 
Deliverance, I believe, may be the best, most comprehensive, most clarifying word to define a Christian. But that's not the way we do it. Here's how we do it. Ask yourself, are you a Christian? Are you? Are you a justified by God? Are you reconciled to God? Have you been redeemed? Has the ransom Christ paid been applied to you? Are you a Christian? And then ask yourself, how do you know that? How do you know you're a Christian? Say, well, I prayed a prayer. I won't do it. I went forward at a meeting. I felt very emotional and maybe I cried and I went down there and I talked to somebody. No, that's not how you can tell you're a Christian. Well, I felt really bad. I, I did some things and I felt really bad. Or I got into a predicament in my marriage or in my life and I, I felt so bad I just needed help from God and I reached up. That won't do it. Well, I, I believe, I, I actually believe in God and I, I believe in Jesus. I must be a Christian. Or how about I was baptized? I mean, I, I, I was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, all of that is looking at an event. It might have been a physical event or an emotional event. That doesn't tell you you were saved. That just tells you you prayed. Lots of people prayed who weren't going to heaven. You went forward. Oh, lots of people go forward, whatever that means, in some meeting. They're not saved. They're not converted. They don't belong in the family of God. And a lot of people feel bad. And a lot of people believe, even demons believe and feel bad about their fate. And lots of people get baptized. That's not it. There isn't any event that's ever occurred in your life that can, in itself, verify that you are a Christian. True salvation is revealed and manifest by the divine work of the Holy Spirit in delivering you. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has delivered you. And we are understanding the idea of deliverance as a general truth that sums up the realities of salvation that are manifest and experiential. There are elements of our salvation, as I told you last time, that are not experiential. Justification is not something you experience. Reconciliation is not something you experience. Adoption is not something you experience. Redemption is not something you experience. There are elements of our salvation that are legal, that have to do with our status, that have to do with our state, that have to do with our position before God. But there are other elements of our salvation that are manifest, revealed, experiential things. Regeneration, new life, new birth, conversion, sanctification. And when you begin to look at those, you begin to see them in the imagery of being delivered. So that you can know you're a Christian, not by an event, but by the fact that you are manifestly delivered from one thing to another. One spiritual realm to another. One life principle to another. One set of realities to another. There is a real deliverance.
And what did we say the first one was? Those who belong to the Lord have been delivered from error to what? To truth. And I've, I, I gave you the message and then I've been footnoting it, as you remember. And I, I need to footnote the footnote on the footnote. Because this is so important in the modern climate. Colossians, go back to Colossians 1, 12 and 13 for a moment. I'm just going to touch this lightly and then I'm going to say whatever relates to this and then make a transition into the second point. But Colossians 1, and please, I'm, I'm just really kind of delivering my soul on this, so you have to be patient with me because of the importance of it. Colossians 1, 12, we give thanks to the Father, and we, we believers, we who are in the family of God, we give thanks to the Father because He qualified us. We were unqualified. We, we were unworthy. We had no qualifications whatsoever by which to be accepted by Him. But He qualified us, and you know how He did that, by applying the righteousness of Christ to us. He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Light is a metaphor for truth. And then verse 13, for He delivered us. There's that concept of deliverance. He delivered us out of the domain of darkness, which is a metaphor for error. The first category of deliverance is those who are really Christians have been delivered out of error into truth. Now listen to what I say. No one is a Christian who does not understand, believe, embrace, and love the truth. What truth? The truth that we call the gospel. No one can be a Christian who has not been delivered out of false doctrine into true doctrine, and that is into the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must be delivered into the true gospel. Any other gospel, Galatians 1, results in a curse. And second, John Anybody who does not abide in the teaching of Christ, who doesn't settle down in the true teaching of Christ, does not have God. Second John 9. People say, you hear this in mission discussions, they say, oh, those people over there who've never heard the gospel, the Lord's going to save them somehow. Nobody will ever be saved. Nobody will ever come into a saving relationship with God who does not know the true gospel regarding Jesus Christ. There isn't any salvation in any other name. The one who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who does abide in that teaching has both the Father and the Son. So that's what we've been saying now for a couple of weeks. Nobody is a Christian who hasn't been delivered out of error into truth. And that truth is that the Bible is the Word of God in which the doctrine of salvation is clearly revealed in its fullness. That is a belief in the true God, the God who is the Trinity, the God who revealed Himself in the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity through a virgin birth, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, rose from the grave in a literal resurrection, ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, reigns with the Father at His right hand, intercedes for the saints, and someday will come back to establish His eternal eternal kingdom and glory. That is the substance of the foundation of gospel truth. And nobody is saved apart from understanding that, not obviously in all of its full ramifications, but understanding it in its truth, believing it, embracing it, and loving it. 
When the Spirit of truth regenerates, He moves people from error to truth. He brings the sinner the understanding of, belief in, embracing of, and total commitment to the truth. That's why in Colossians 1 it says, essentially, that the saints dwelling in light, and it's almost a synonym, have been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Light and the Son are synonymous. Jesus said it, I am the light. To be in the light, that is to know the truth, is to understand the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ. Now, let me just take you to a passage that will act for us as a transition. Turn to Romans 10. We will talk a little about Romans 10 and then we'll go to Romans 6. I, you have to understand this. I was a, had an interesting experience. I, I was invited to speak at the Full Gospel Businessmen's Lunch, Southern California event. That is a very, very charismatic group. And uh, it was a strange thing because they invited me to speak on the gift of tongues. <laughs> somebody, somebody in the organization thought that I had received the gift and that I would, had become an advocate of that gift. And they invited me to speak thinking that. I thought they wanted to know what the Bible said about that. <laughs> so their expectations were here, here's going to come John MacArthur and... Uh, He's going to finally have arrived, you know, at this great gift and having received the Holy Spirit, he's going to give his testimony. And I'm thinking they want the truth. And I'm thinking how generous and broad-minded of them to invite me to do this. <laughs> so I went and I just opened the Bible and I, I, I showed them from Scripture what it is and what it isn't and how I believe it had ceased. It's the only time that I can remember, and this is true, actually physically being grabbed and pulled away from a microphone. I literally was physically dragged away from the microphone. They were so upset at what I was saying. And I didn't understand that because I thought that I was invited to do what I was doing. And then the man went to the podium and he began to pray for me that I would be, this is what he said, quote, zapped in the middle of the night and burst forth in tongues. And um, they had this prayer for me. Afterwards, I, it was kind of odd, you know, but afterwards I said to this man who was one of the leaders of this group, how long have you been a part of this? He said, nine years. I said, not talking about tongues, let me ask you a question. Um, on what basis are you going to be received by God into His heaven? Well, he said, the way I look at it is uh, when you die, there's this long staircase. And you go to the top and you knock on the door and uh, you really hope Jesus lets you in. Absolutely no understanding of the gospel. We're talking about the wrong subject. Totally upset about tongues, totally ignorant about saving truth. I find that commonly, sadly. Look at Romans 10. I don't know how more clear it can be stated, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, which embodies all of His person and work, and you believe in your heart that God, what? Raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord and God and Sovereign Master, 
the sinless one, if you don't believe that He actually rose from the grave and all that that implies, it implies that, that, that God Himself was satisfied with His atonement and raised Him from the dead, that He is therefore the perfect and exalted Savior. If you don't believe that, you can't be saved. With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now there's no distinction. Verse 12 says it's open to everybody. Verse 13 says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you have to call on the name of the Lord. You have to believe the essence of the gospel. You can't be saved without it. And that's why verse 14 says, How shall they call on Him of whom they have not believed? If nobody's told them the truth and nobody's given them the information to believe, how are they going to call on Him? And how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? You get the picture? They can't understand and they can't believe unless they hear. And they can't hear unless somebody goes. And nobody goes unless somebody's sent. The point being, we got to go because there isn't any other way. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to every creature. That's the only hope. Nobody's ever going to be converted and taken to heaven who didn't get delivered out of error into truth, the truth regarding Jesus Christ. Person, work, and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone. That's why we say in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the glad tidings of good things. How how beautiful are the feet of those who go, because if they don't go, they can't hear. If they can't hear, they can't believe. If they can't believe, they can't be saved. And in verse 17, faith comes from what? Hearing. It doesn't come from intuition. It comes from hearing what? The Word of God, the Word of Christ. Actually, the better manuscript, the Word of Christ, the Word about Jesus Christ, the Gospel. That's why we have to go. And believe me, if, as I've told you before, if people out there live up to the light they have, the light of conscience and the light of reason, God will make sure they get the light of the gospel. God is not at all limited in bringing the message to those whose hearts are prepared by His Spirit. Now turn to Romans 6. I wanted to talk about this verse last week and I didn't have the opportunity to. Romans 6, verse 17. Just a simple thought here, okay? Thanks be to God. You were a slave of sin. Stop there. What's a slave? Oh, that's a, that's a word that carries a lot of baggage with it, right? A slave is somebody who is in abject, dutiful service under a master. When we think of a slave, we, we think of someone whose will, whose ideas, whose opinions, whose plans, whose purposes, whose future are not in their own hands. don't matter. A slave is somebody who does whatever he's told. A slave is somebody who is under commanding authority. And he says about us, you were slaves of sin. We are literally dominated by sins. Sin is our master. Occasionally we do something that is humanly good and kind and something that may be even humanly noble. Occasionally we express love, we take care of children, we take care of older people, we give to charity. But the basic dominating force and power in our lives is sin. That's the way it is. In verse 18, but you've been freed from sin and you became slaves of righteousness. Wow, this is a dramatic change. I mean, this is a major dramatic change. 
You, you no longer are a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. Your master is righteousness. Your, your compelling power is righteousness. And where once you found your satisfaction and you found your delight and you found your joy and you found your fulfillment in, in, in sin, you now find your delight and your satisfaction and your joy and your fulfillment in righteousness. Where once you hated the thought of doing right and loved the thought of doing wrong, and now you hate the thought of doing wrong and love the thought of doing right. That's a big change. Big change. How did it happen? Middle of verse 17. Got to see this. You became obedient from the heart. Something didn't happen on the outside. You didn't get a new set of rules and grit your teeth and grind away to try to fulfill them. Something happened on the inside. You became obedient from the heart. Obedient to what? Look at this. To that and I'm going to give you the Greek, tupon didakes, to which, into which you were delivered. There's that great word, delivered. Paradidomi in this case. To deliver. To hand over. To relocate. The reason you have changed the reason you have stopped being a slave of righteousness, a slave of sin, and become a slave of righteousness, the reason is because you were delivered from error into that tupon didakes. Tupon meaning that mold, that structure, that form, that body. And the idea there is there is a body of truth, a body of teaching. Uh, a set of doctrines, truths, into which you were delivered and became obedient from the heart. That's the first indication of a true Christian. They have been delivered into the body of truth that saves. And if they haven't, they aren't Christians. If somebody can't explain the gospel, doesn't embrace the gospel, doesn't believe the true gospel, they're not saved. These people that I talk to say, well, we've got to give room for the liberals. You know, they're our Christian brothers. We've got to give room for the Catholics and room for the Greek Orthodox and room for people going up the ladder and knocking on the door and room for the people who kind of feel the God works in this way and says this and says that. We, they're all our Christian brothers. No, they're not. I wish they were. But the only way... To help them become what they're not is to tell them they're not. Not to tell them they are. I don't want to be a part of that deception. They have not been delivered from the heart into that body of truth that constitutes the gospel. That leads me to the second point at last. I'm just going to introduce it. second point is this. The doctrine of deliverance means we have been delivered by the Spirit of truth, listen, from error to truth. We have also been delivered from sin to righteousness by the Spirit of holiness. And that's right there. Look back at verse 17. You were slaves of sin. Verse 18, you became slaves of righteousness. That is a fact, folks. That's a fact. Sometimes somebody will say, oh, you know, my, my husband is just behaving terribly. He, he's not interested in the church. And uh, 
you know, he's going off with this woman, he's having an affair, whatever, 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 and I, I you know, I, I know he's a Christian because I, 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 I he used to go to church and uh, so forth. So let me tell you something. If a person wants to sin, if a person's greatest satisfaction, fulfillment is found in sin, that's not a Christian. There is a new life principle. There is a new slavery. And it is a slavery to righteousness. It isn't that we're perfect. It's just the new principle that creates a new practice. It amazes me how people don't get this. One of America's leading theologians used, uh, wrote a book and talked about the fact that when you're converted, it, it, it may not change anything in your life. What? That is absolutely absurd. It changes everything in your life. Absolutely everything. Go back with me to Ezekiel 36. I want to show you the core principle at the very essence of being that is changed in this deliverance. The New King James, by the way, translates Romans 6, 17 excellently by using the word delivered. But in Ezekiel 36, this most notable passage on the New Covenant, and the New Covenant is the saving covenant, but I want you to notice the character of this New Covenant salvation. Verse 25, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. What's going to happen when I save you, what's going to happen is I'm going to clean you and cleanse you from all your filthiness. That is amazing. There's going to be a washing here, synonymous with the washing of regeneration in the New Testament, the washing of the water of the Word. And I'm going to cleanse you from all your filthiness and your idols. Verse 26, I'm going to give you a new heart. That is, he's, the, the, the prophet here is, is reaching in and talking about the very seat of thought and feeling and emotion and attitude. I'm changing the inward character, the inward nature, the inward principle, the inward disposition. A new heart. I'm putting a new spirit. I'm going to remove that hard heart that couldn't sense righteousness. And, and I'm going to give you a tender heart. And verse 27, I'm going to put my spirit within you. I mean, that is just, that is uh, coming at it every way you can come at it. I, I'm going to change everything about your insides. And this is so good, verse 27, I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. And uh, the end of verse 28, you'll be my people and I'll be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. When you become a Christian, the Spirit of truth moves you from error to truth, and the Spirit of holiness moves you from sin to righteousness, from vice to virtue. Called His name Jesus, Matthew one twenty one, because He would save His people from their sins. Sin's power, sin's dominion is broken, shattered. Back to Romans 6 for a moment in so many scriptures. He says in verse 19, I'm, I'm talking in human terms. I'm, I'm talking in the language of slavery because it's a good human metaphor. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. I mean, you, as human beings, it's hard for you to understand spiritual truth, so I'm attaching it to something you do understand like slavery. Uh, and 
Further, in using human analogies, you, you once presented your, your members, your faculties, as slaves to impurity and lawlessness. All your human faculties, all of them, your mind, uh, your thought patterns, your voice, your speech, your body, everything was basically serving impurity and lawlessness, producing further lawlessness. And now your members have become slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now you have been freed from sin. You are enslaved to God. You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Everything is different. Not only is the end different, death and life, but the life is different from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. I love what it says in Romans 11. I mentioned it last week. When the Deliverer comes, He takes away sin. That's why verse 14 of Romans 6 says, Sin isn't master over you anymore. It's not master. And back in verse 4 of Romans 6, you, you were buried with Christ in His death. You have risen with Christ in His resurrection. You now walk in newness of life. We have a new life. It's it's the same as 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he's what? It's a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. I'm not perfect, but my longings are changed. My affections are changed. My desires are changed. I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love and honor Jesus Christ. I want to bring honor to the Spirit of God as His temple. I want to bring the Word of God in clear, bold relief before the face of men, and I want to obey the Word of God. And those longings are not natural longings. As a natural, unconverted person, I uh, have no understanding of the things of God. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to me. I am totally blind, totally dead to that, and fully satisfied to follow the course of my own sin. That's not how I think anymore. Sometimes parents will say, you know, I have a child and I, I remember when they prayed the prayer and, and you know, they were saved and, and now they're just living this life where all they want to do is wrong. And, and look, that is the manifestation of their character. Their nature is acting its normal way. If, um, if you're falling into sin and saying, I, don't, I hate this, I resent this, I don't want this, if you're saying like Romans 7, there's something going on in me in my flesh that I hate. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Please, God, deliver me from this. That's a Christian. Nobody is on their way to heaven who doesn't have manifest holiness in their life, a manifest love of what is right. Jeremiah 31:33 is another old covenant passage. You don't need to look it up. It essentially says the same thing. Jeremiah 31, that's the classic um, New Covenant passage, I should say. The classic New Covenant passage. And listen to what it says. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I'm going to make with them. I'll put my law within them, and on their heart I'll write it. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Wow. I'll be devoted to them. They'll be devoted to me. I won't have to hold them to an external law. It'll be all over their hearts. It'll be their desire, their longing, their joy. You came in here this morning. And you were asked to sing songs to the glory of Christ. What were you thinking when they were singing, I'd rather have Jesus than anything? Was that an echo of your heart? Were you sitting there saying, that's how I feel? Thank you. Thank you, God, that I have Jesus. Was that your attitude? That would be the elicitation of the Spirit of God prompting the right response of a believer's heart to agree with that. 
See, sanctification is inseparable from justification. So deliverance means you're delivered from sin to righteousness. It means your whole perspective is completely changed, completely different. Wonderful way the book of Revelation begins, chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I love this. To him who loves us and released us from our sins. That's not just uh, forensic. It's, it's not just a legal release. It's a real one. That's why Philippians 3 says in verse 3, we are the true circumcision. That is, we are the true people of God who worship in the Spirit of God. That's a characteristic. We worship in the Spirit of God. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in our flesh. That's a believer. Do you rejoice in Jesus Christ? Do you worship in the Spirit of God? Do you have no confidence in your flesh? Do you long to honor God, to know His Word, obey His Word? Those are the evidences of new life. Ephesians 2.10, very familiar. You're saved, verses 8 and 9, by grace. But verse 10 says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And James says the same thing in James 2. Faith without works is what? Is dead. I mean, it's by the evidence of a changed life that we know the faith was viable. Oh, there are many passages. I think of Galatians 6.15. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. That kind of thing doesn't matter. But a new creation. We are a new creation. Everything has changed with regard to our view toward sin and righteousness. A final passage, Second Thessalonians 2.13. I'll close with this. Although... There are almost endless texts to which we could look. We'll pick up some more on this thought next time. Second Thessalonians 2.13, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you, that's election, from the beginning for salvation. Look at this, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. There it is. The two points I've been trying to make. There has to be faith in the truth. That's the first deliverance, though it's mentioned second here. And there has to be sanctification by the Spirit. Sanctification means a separation. That's what sanctification means. It means to separate. You are delivered from sin to righteousness. Salvation then comes through that separation from sin and through that faith in the truth. Those are the first two great points. Scripture is so consistent. Nobody is a Christian who doesn't believe in the true gospel and who doesn't have holy longings, righteous affections, love for what is right, and a deep animosity toward what is wrong. That's the indication that you have been delivered. So when you evaluate somebody's Christianity. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, right? Jesus said in Matthew 7, I'm going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You workers of what? I just look at your life and I see the product. You do iniquity. You don't belong to me. I don't care what your claim is. You do iniquity. You don't belong to me. It doesn't matter that you said, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, did that, prophesied, cast out demons. 
That isn't, that isn't the point. Look at your life. Workers of iniquity. You can tell who's a Christian. It's manifest. They've been delivered. They have been delivered to faith in the truth, in the language of 2 Thessalonians 2.13, and they have been delivered into sanctification by the Spirit. That is, they have been separated from error and from sin into truth and righteousness. Do you see? How can we ask the question, who's the Christian? It's all right there. It's all right there. They believe the truth, and they live as new creations. Well, more next time. We come to you, Lord, at the end of this wonderful morning of worship. And I can only ask, as I have before, that you would help me not to overstate or understate, not to say too much and too little, not to in any way limit these dear people in their understanding of this, and yet not to beleaguer the point. Lord, you know how my heart is gripped by this issue because of this pervasive confusion, so needless. And how sad it is that people say, oh, uh, that's just his opinion. And if that isn't an exact proof of the severity of the problem, I don't know what is. We're not interested in my opinion or anybody else's. We just want the truth, Lord. And you've made it so clear how how you have held us accountable to the truth because it's so clear. It's not as if you've tucked it behind the scenes in some obscure passage. It's splattered all over the entire Scripture. That to have a relationship with you, we have to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we have to be delivered from sin into righteousness. The kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness is a domain of error and a domain of iniquity. The kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of your love, is a domain of truth and a domain of holiness. And if we belong, then we've been delivered into truth and holiness. And may we honestly evaluate our own lives our own relationship to you. And if there is any fear that we, in fact, are not Christians, may we embrace the truth in all its glory and cry out to be delivered from sin into righteousness. And may you be gracious to us. And, Father, use us to bring the truth to bear to so many people not only outside the church, but inside, so hopelessly confused. May we be people of the truth and people of holiness. Give us wisdom with our families, our close friends, to be discerning. And if there's not an understanding of belief in, embracing of, and love for the truth, the truth of the gospel, and there's not a passionate affection for what is right, and a longing to find all satisfaction in goodness and holiness. May we help uncover one's, that one's true spiritual condition and call them to a genuine faith and repentance. Use us in that way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with grace to you. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit grace to use website at gty.org. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page at Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com, that is, T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as Truth, the letter B, then Told Radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, Told Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. Why are we sinners? This is Ken Ham, and our popular life-size Noah's Ark is located in northern Kentucky. All of our major Christian doctrines are either directly or indirectly founded in the history in Genesis. Think about a big one, man's sin condition. Why are we all sinners facing the penalty of death? Well, because God created a perfect world, and he commanded the first two people not to eat from one specific tree. Instead of obeying their creator, Adam and Eve chose rebellion. Their choice brought sin into the world, and with sin came death. This history explains why no one is basically good. We're all rebellious sinners because we sinned in Adam and have inherited his sin nature. But there's a rescue for sinners. More tomorrow. All Christian doctrine is grounded in the book of Genesis. Discover more about the truth of Genesis at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies confound
around the academy. Bowed to his majesty. He paid thin salary. Took our blame on Calvary. Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy. All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice. That's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife. What? Did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth. The gospel is not fake news. I gotta send the gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed. Let us in. We got the medicine. It's still human emergency. The serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up. Stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up. Stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not traditional, kind of different. But God's consistent, no contradiction. My proposition through crucifixion, He mocked and crippled His opposition. It's not some fiction. I'm spitting the Son of God is risen, and my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison, and through the Spirit He brings a new birth, like an obstetrician. At times I listen, a lot of Christian hip hop is missing the proposition. It's my suspicion we drop the mission, not to this, but the Word of God is it not sufficient? The doctrine is that the gospel fixes our Condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we're too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no synonyms. Again, he came straight blameless, no synonyms. Again, nothing's been the same since, no synonyms. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no synonyms. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, uh, Love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? The Gospel from Genesis. This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the Apologetics award-winning family magazine, Answers. Yesterday we learned that the doctrine of sin and man's sin condition are grounded in the history in Genesis. But so is our hope of the Gospel. In Genesis 3.15, God promised Eve that from her would come the seed who would crush Satan. And that seed is Jesus. Jesus came as a descendant of Adam to die in our place, taking our sin penalty of death for us. 
Now, some Christians don't believe Adam and Eve really lived. But think about this. Why did Jesus need to come as a man and die a physical death for our sin if a man didn't bring physical death into the world by his sin? It's only when we believe God's word from the very first verse that the gospel makes sense. There's so much more to learn when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll discover that God's Word can be trusted from the very first verse when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Yeah. Man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And fades like echoes. Echoes, 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 echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it 
the whole of the script hmm, is found in the pages of holy writ. Not the cash speech of the reverend, but what a man sees under heaven. Ecclesiastes 1:11. No matter who you are, death aims to stop you. Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra, before your time is done, meet the timeless one, the dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun. King Jesus astounds and amazes. He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages. So let us praise the one who made the Everglades. Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade. Never fade. Never fade. What is marriage? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter. Can marriage just be whatever we want it to be? Our culture generally thinks so, but just because they want that to be the case doesn't mean it is. You see, marriage isn't some kind of institution humans created. God created it. In Genesis, we read that God created the first man and woman, and he brought them together in a unique one flesh union. This was the first marriage, and it was designed and ordained by God. Marriage is not whatever we want it to be. Two men, two women, a man and multiple women, or an open relationship. Marriage is God's institution, so only He has the authority to define it. And that definition is in Genesis. Get more answers to your Bible questions at AnswersRadio.com and find out about our faith-building video streaming platform, Answers TV, when you visit AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest roofer. Christ brought us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch hats from the furnace. To Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed of what conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambition. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily. Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ the priest. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. We can take any time in the scripture. Put your gate into prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his bright in the might, and the diamond in the mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the law, that he found low. He was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the clown. Yo, Satan had a choke hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope, and then. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the end. That's what we hoping in. Risen on it's spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spell bound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was fought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory is subordinate. He is the most excellent 
one intrinsic infinite sun preeminent the name par excellence prenom phenomenon he's beyond phenomenon you see the father of cosmology the abba of astronomy he's part of we of pottery it's shocking jesus died for me the father he adopted me and constantly provides for me whether or not i got degrees you gotta see his odyssey from sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly you ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent it's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment study the development from old to new testament you'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age it's relevant crisis on its center stage forget religious sentiments that center on man but something less is what you're settling he is the most excellent exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance yeah. the sin of sinners that separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed christ on his costly cross and compensated his life death and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all freedom from the effects of the fall freedom from adam and eve in the garden of eden and from the law so the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised praising his name singing glory to god <laughs> Only one race. This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's word and the gospel. Racism is a big issue in our culture today. Many companies, government schools and social media are pushing everyone towards critical race theory as the answer. But as with all Christian doctrines, the answer begins in Genesis. You see, Genesis teaches that God created two people and from them came everyone else. That means we're all related. Now, because everyone is descended from Adam and Eve, we all have the same ultimate problem, sin. We're all sinners, deserving the death penalty. But we also have the same solution, the Lord Jesus. He came as our relative and died in our place, bearing our sin debt and offers salvation to all who will believe. Discover more about the biblical answer to racism when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll see how the Bible's history applies to the issues of today when you visit AnswersRadio.com. The disciple of Jesus, then God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, just like he did for the first disciple. What kind of wonderful plan? Well... Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew, his brother, was also crucified. James was executed by the sword. John, his brother, was exiled and died of old age. Philip was tortured and then crucified upside down. Bartholomew was skinned alive and he too crucified upside down. Thomas was speared to death while praying. Matthew was also killed by the spear. Thaddeus and Simon and the other James all crucified. God's wonderful plan for you is to preach the gospel and make disciples, just like these men did. It's why they were killed. The same Jesus who personally called these men has called us to do the same, even if it hurts. In Acts 5, the disciples were arrested and beaten for preaching the gospel. When they were let go, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And every day they continued to share the gospel. Jesus said that you are blessed when others revile and persecute you and speak evil against you falsely on account of him. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So God indeed has a wonderful plan for those who follow Jesus. For those who don't, his plan is to destroy all evildoers who do not believe in his son. Even in this, God will be glorified. So you shouldn't tell an unbeliever that God has a wonderful plan for their life. You should tell them to turn from their sin and follow Jesus. 
thoughts of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to go let you live. Does God give certain directives? Of course he does. There are plenty of commandments to do. There are plenty of commandments to not do. There are many rules, but when you consider the sheer number of decisions that you make each and every day, the Bible doesn't cover those. So why does God allow this? And please don't let this startle you. Wait, I, I thought the, the Bible was good for all the life and godliness. It is, but it still allows liberty for us to think things through and apply theology. Why does God do it that way? I can think of it in two reasons. Number one, he recognizes that we're all in different places. Theologically, some of us are more mature than others. Some of us have studied the Bible longer. Some of us have been in the faith for 60, 70 years, and so they've got more wisdom, and so they are able to make different and better decisions, some less. And so he allows for that flexibility. But there is a second reason regarding human nature, and that is human flourishing. You and I are different. You like a certain kind of music than I do. And God says, okay, you like country western? Go ahead. Now, if it's sinful country western, I forbid that. What if it's simply a genre of music? Go ahead. Eating. What kind of food do you like? How much food do you like to eat? What's your metabolism? God says, well, then figure out your plate and how much you put on it. Another realm would be clothing. If you want to dress like a picnic basket, like, you know, some people imagine that actually do, then you can make that decision. You want to wear a pantsuit versus a dress? Go ahead. You see, God knit us together, and we have different tastes. We have different attributes. We have different skills. We have different giftings. We are in different zip codes. We're in different cultures. We're different ages. You see that if God said, Every, here's all the rules for all of those different scenarios about clothing alone. It would have to look like Islam. Consider all of the decisions that go into clothing, things that we don't even think about. How old are you? Look, there's, there's a time to stop wearing tank tops, sir. There's a time to not go on in public like that. You can dress this way at this age, but it doesn't seem appropriate at that age. Or you've got more money and you can buy different types of clothing. Wait a second, you're in a different climate. So now you need to wear sweaters and layers versus something that's less sweaty for you. And God doesn't get into the, nope, you're all going to dress like this. It's brilliant, but it's dangerous because we can is why Sinclair Ferguson rightly came up with four principles that will guide us through the choppy waters. Brilliant, wonderful doctrine, but a dangerous doctrine. We need to make sure that we don't capsize our own boats or the boats of others. Let's take a look at the four principles. Number one from Sinclair, Christian liberty must never be flaunted. Whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. Permit me to paint two pictures. Please note, this is not to make a point about the liberty, but to simply demonstrate the principle. Scenario number one, cigars.
love them, you smoke them. You believe that you have the Christian liberty to tug on those big, stinky, smelly things. I'm sorry, did that actually come out of my mouth? And let's say you have a blog, you have a Facebook page. Should you be putting pictures of yourself smoking and enjoying your cigar with your Christian liberty, blowing big smoke rings, knowing that other Christians who perhaps do not agree with your liberty will see it? Principle one says, you know, they don't see that. Scenario number two. There's a fundamentalist Baptist church in town. You move to that town, you go shopping for churches, and you conclude the Fundamentalist Baptist Church is the best place for me and my family. And you know very quickly by attending there, going to a movie theater is considered verboten. Our independent Fundamentalist Baptist brothers and sisters, whom I love, by the way, they do not believe that you have the Christian liberty to do that. You do you now do not want that liberty by talking about the film that you went to see or trying to persuade them or really just go them on, oh, man, this movie, you just don't know what you're missing. We don't want our liberty principle. Number two, Christian liberty does not mean that you welcome fellow Christians only when you have sorted out their views on X, Y, or Z. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson wrote, God has welcomed them in Christ as they are, and so should we. True, the Lord will not leave them as they are, but he does not make their pattern of conduct the basis of his welcome, and neither should we. You and I need to remember how patient God is with, well, frankly, all of us are true. As sanctified today as you were when God saved you, I hope not. Therefore, should you have not been welcomed into fellowship and embraced warmly by others because you were not as spiritually mature as they were at that time? I certainly hope not, and we should do the same thing. When we see a Christian brother or sister, whichever way this, this happens to be flowing regarding Christian liberty, if it's an issue of gray area things, non-essential doctrine, we should live lovingly in fellowship. It is hard to imagine you and I would go through a checklist of doctrinal statements. We believe in the Trinity, three persons, one God. We believe in justification by faith alone. We believe in regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in an eternal heaven. We believe in an eternal conscious torment hell for the unregenerate who do not have their sins forgiven. But you smoke.
emulating one another and helping one another grow in these areas. In other words, the dangerous doctrine of Christian liberty is really for our sanctification. Thank you for watching. Well, frankly, anything wretched. You might be thinking, you're going to ask me for money now, aren't you? No, I'm going to ask you to partner with us. Yes, it involves you sending us money, but we don't simply see you as a mark. We would like to invite you to partner with us so that we can continue to preach the gospel, to equip the saints to preach and defend the gospel, and strengthen the local church. Would you please consider partnering with us in that endeavor? To find out how you can do that, visit wretched.org. Life is filled with amazing science success that will blow your mind. There are plenty of those minds. Nothing loves the Bible and speaks most in faith. At a time when some believe that the earth sat on the back of a large animal, 1500 BC, the Bible spoke of the earth's free flow in space. Quote, it hangs the earth on nothing. Science didn't discover that the earth hangs on nothing until 1650. Number two, the scriptures speak of an invisible structure. Only in recent years, the science discovered that everything we see is composed of things that we cannot see, invisible atoms. In Hebrews 11, verse 3, written 2,000 years ago, scripture tells us that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Number three, the Bible and the science of oceanography. Matthew Murray, born in 1806, considered the father of oceanography. He noticed the expression palms of the sea in Psalm 8 verse 8, written 2,800 years ago, and said, If God says there are palms of the sea, I'm going to find them. Murray then took God at his word and went looking for those palms. And we are indebted to his discovery on the warm and cold continent of The vital book on oceanography is still in print today. Number four, the Bible and radio waves. God asked Job a very strange question in 1500. And ask, can you send out lightning? They may go and say to you, here we are. This appears to be a scientifically ludicrous statement that light can be sent and then manifest itself in speech. But did you know that all electric magnetic radiation from radio waves to X rays travels at the speed of light? This is why you can have an instantaneous wireless communication with someone on the other side of the world. The fact that light could be sent and manifest itself in speech wasn't discovered by science until 18. Number five, the Bible and entropy. Three different places in the Bible indicate that the earth is wearing out like a garment. This is what the second law of thermodynamics, the law of decreasing entropy, states that in all physical processes, every ordered system over time tends to become more disordered. This wasn't discovered by science until recently. But the Bible states it in concise terms. Number six. Nearly 3,000 years ago, the book of Job in Job 38.22 asked the question, Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? It wasn't until the advent of the microscope that we understood that every snowflake is both unique and beautiful. Number seven. Modern deep sea cameras have discovered amazing springs on the bottom of the ocean. These great springs of water release vast amounts of mineral-rich, superheated water. The Bible in the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 16, written nearly 3,000 years ago, speaks of 
second coming of Jesus Christ, which will happen at the speed of light according to Luke 17, 24, will occur while some are asleep at night and others are working at daytime activities in the field. This is a clear indication of a revolving earth with day and night at the same time. Science didn't discover this until the 15th century. Number 15. The speaking of the sun, the psalmist written 800 years BC said, its rising is from one end of heaven and the circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its feet. Psalm 19, verse 6. The Indians could have scoffed at this verse, 
church, so nothing changed. And that's exactly what God's done with his word. It hasn't changed. I've been reading the Bible every day for 50 years without fail, and it hasn't changed. It's just the same. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for correction, for instruction of righteousness. So you can trust it. There is a way, a scientific way, you know, you can trust it. You know what that is? Bible's full of prophecy and scientific facts. Do you know the Bible has scientific facts? Written thousands of years before man discovered them. The principles of oceanography, hydrological cycles. Bible mentions those before man discovered them. It speaks of the earth's free float in space. It says the earth hangs upon nothing. The earth hangs on nothing. The Bible says it. speaks of the circle of the earth, the earth being spherical. That shows the fingerprint of God all over his word. It shows you can trust it because only God knows the future. Only God knows the scientific facts. Make sure you watch this video to the end for our biggest ever giveaway. Free stuff with free shipping. No kidding. You're going to love it. Old Testament God promised to destroy death. The New Testament tells us how he did it. Did you know that? No, I did not. You can trust God's word. The reason I say that is because the Bible tells you you can find everlasting life. It tells us what causes death and tells us how to find the answer. Can you guys be honest with me? Yes. When's the last look of pornography? It's been like a year. About a year. I thought it was. Are you doing anything you know Possibly, yeah. And what about you? When's your last look at porn? Um, well, yeah, I also have a girlfriend, apparently. Are you having sex outside of marriage? Yeah. You know, the Bible says fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God, and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already within his heart. Have you heard that? Yeah. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only God is paying you in death for your sins. Like a judge looks at a murderer who's killed three women, he says, you're the only death sentence. This is your wages. This is what's due to you. And sin is so serious to a holy God, he's given you the death sentence. Your death will be evidence that God is deadly serious about sin. Now, here's the big question, Angie. Do you believe you're evil enough for God to be justified to put you to death for your sins? Everyone has done sin like before, like... Oh, yes. Bible says, not to ratify something, but 
Today, make you a little fearful. So you see, there's a sense of urgency. What will stop you coming to Christ? 
of sin. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light. And the moment you think of normal sex and the girlfriend who met in real sex or whatever, they're way, you know, like God gave you sex with you. You've got the other one, so she. God even listened to that, and it's God's gift for you. But it's within the confines of marriage. If someone gives you a brand new car like your dad and says, son, I give us on the condition you stay on the right side of the road and don't drink and drive. If you drink and drive and drive on the wrong side of the road, he's got the right to take the keys back. And you don't want God to take his keys of life back from you. Jesus said, watch the cross on a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. So right now there should be an alarm going off in your head, your conscience, alarming you that this is deadly serious. This is your life that's at stake. Not just who you're going to marry, not what you're going to do for a job. This is your forever. You're going to think about this with a sense of seriousness? Yes, sir. What about you? I think you're thinking mm-hmm. you're thinking. Yeah. And what about you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to believe this because 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 I'm going to so what part did I mess up on? What don't you agree with? Oh, I don't agree with such a cruel God. I feel like he's more accepting. So that's just what I think. It's more of a thing I disagree. Broken the first and the second of the Ten Commandments. Do you know what they are? No, I do not. First is you shall have no other gods before me, and the second is don't make a false god, either with your hands or your mind. And I did what you just did. Before I was a Christian, I created a God in my own image, the place of my imagination. I created a God that's quite happy with sex out of marriage. doesn't mind lying or stealing or blasphemy. He's a non-existent God, a figment of the imagination, by shape to serve my sin. The Bible calls an idolatry and says, idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. So don't put on a parish of filthy holes, because that's what it is, a false hope. You've got to face the God of the Bible, the God that created the Son. We can't even look at the Son. He says, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Fear him. And then he says this, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's better to enter heaven without an eye than go to hell with both of your eyes. For the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. That's the words of Jesus. So I want you to think about that. Think about how you love your sins and how God will change your heart so you love righteousness the moment you return and trust Christ. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. It's tough stuff, but just because I care about you, I'm saying this. Okay? Yeah. You going to think about it? I don't know. Uh, maybe. A lot of people will be praying for you because of what we where you are. You know, you're going to think about it? Yes, sir. Okay. Guys, can I give you a book that I've written? Some scientific facts from the Bible. I don't know
Jesus has raised you.